Summer Smash podcast with Bernie Mac and the Beaver. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to this very special semi-final edition of the Summer Smash podcast. I'm your host, Bernie Mac, and I'm joined by the man, the myth, but we know him as the Beaver, Rob Beaver. How you doing, buddy? Oh, Bernie, I've, I've been better. Your adopted sons have come over to Perth and sport the party. Uh, it was a, a, honestly a difficult game to, to sit through for many different reasons, which I'm sure we'll get into. But uh, I thought it was quite telling that our Premier Mark McGowan said before the game, he encourages people going to Optus Stadium for tonight's game to uh, to maybe just consider leaving early. And uh, I saw someone on Twitter say, what, you know, who the hell would say something like that? Who would think that? And about halfway through the Scorchers innings, I thought maybe 45,000 people at the game because they didn't do too well. But I'm sure we'll break down all of that. And uh, yeah, well, what a performance we've seen. Yeah, what a surprise. The underdogs, the Hurricanes, they blew into Perth and they blew away the Scorchers by 71 runs. And uh, look, as you mentioned there, Rob, the new stadium, uh, I think this could have played a part. Now, coming into this game, the Scorchers had won five out of six semifinals that they had appeared in in BBL history. Uh, obviously, they opened the brand new uh, Optus, uh, Optus Cricket Ground there. Uh, the, the first major cricket match was held there on, on Sunday when uh, the English uh, beat the Australians. Uh, and now the Hurricanes have uh, put the sword to the Scorchers. I mean, as a as a Western Australian, Rob, are you feeling like uh, this this new this new ground could be kind of cursed? Uh, well, possibly. I know it was mentioned on the broadcast. I think it, it is quite interesting. I, I made the the comment on Twitter throughout the game that the Scorchers look to be getting a lot of sort of sort of edges whether it was a lot of them particular i remember three or four that kind of they were for these sort of slogs from uh you know deliveries that were sort of between uh leg and middle and and ended up just catching a top edge and they'd go sort of 30 40 50 meters in the air but they wouldn't really be able to get any penetration on them so i don't know if that was maybe just having some sort of adjustment to the pitch um if it was you'd assume that the hobart hurricanes would have had potentially a similar issue but they didn't really seem to struggle uh to, to hit the the ball sweetly as much as the score just did and this would have to be one of the greenest wickets i've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life i mean the the wicket was practically the same color as the outfield i mean if the thunder players were playing on that um you would have missed them you wouldn't have been able to see him that's how that's how green the pitch was but um look let's let's go right back to the beginning of this one and uh, uh let's unpack it right from the start the scorchers win the toss and they send the hurricanes into bat now you and i have had this discussion on uh, a, a previous episode of the summer smash podcast uh, about whether you should bat or bowl first and uh, look I, I really think the 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 scorchers missed a trick here by not uh, jumping on uh, jumping on winning that toss getting in a bat and getting some runs on the board I think it's really easy to be critical of the Scorchers knowing the way that the game played out. And, and I know this is something that you and I have been debating uh, on and off across the season. But but I've always said, especially for the Scorchers, they have the ability to, to use all 20 overs to chase down whatever total uh, they're, they're chasing. We've seen them take you know 19.5 overs to get to 120. We've seen them take 19.5 to get to 180. Uh, so in that sense, I don't think it, it made too much of a difference. Again, if I'm the Scorchers, and looking at this, at the 10-over mark, 
there wasn't really a, a huge sort of difference. Or let's back up a little bit even further, perhaps to uh, the eight over mark. I think the the scorchers were down sort of five or six wickets here, which obviously isn't great. But the run rate was basically on. I think at one point it said that the Hurricanes were one for sixty nine, and the scorchers were one for sixty two at the at the same point. So the run rate wasn't the problem. Uh, it was just the wickets in hand, and I think sometimes the wickets um, aren't inherently something that you can change you're playing your shots and, and as i said sometimes they connect sometimes they don't i don't think the run rate was an issue i don't think they'd regret batting second i think it's what they've done all tournament it's what they've been really successful at doing over the last couple of years uh, obviously looking back i can see your point it looks very easy to say um you know a stupid decision in hindsight but i don't think the actual pitch and the way that perhaps it changed, if anything, across the night actually had anything to do with it. I think they just got comprehensively outplayed by a better team on the day. And, uh, I mean, it was a phenomenal innings there by the Hurricanes to put 210 on the board. And But but as you mentioned, I mean, the, probably the 210 doesn't tell the, tell the whole story. I mean, Matty Wade, he shot out of the gates with his man-of-the-match man of performance. He put on 70 runs in just 45 balls with a strike rate at 157. But even at one stage there when Matty Wade was striking at uh, 157, the commentators made the point that the whoever it was that was supporting him I think he had two two batting partners. They were they were batting at just under eighty. Um, so the, there was really that that feeling that if the if the Scorchers could get that breakthrough and get Matty Wade out, uh, that they were a real chance of winning. And and, and the, at that stage the run rate wasn't getting too high. It was only about eight or nine. So okay, no problem. You know the run traces are always pretty high over in Western Australia. Um, but I, I really felt once they got Matty Wade out, I I thought the the match was going to swing back in the in the in the Scorchers' favour, um, but um, the, the Hurricanes managed to back that up uh, with some super power hitting by Ben McDermott and Dan uh, Christian. They certainly did, and your comment on Wade is precisely right. And this is the Hurricanes played a textbook in a perfect game. You look at it, Matty Wade. Okay, he made 71 of 45 at a strike rate of 150, which is fantastic. But you look at the guys that he was batting with. Uh, he was batting with Tim Payne. He was batting with uh, George Bailey, the captain. Both of those guys were only they only faced 22 deliveries, and they were out there. Um, I think George Bailey was dismissed at two for 80, nearly 10 overs in. So they batted for 10 overs, and there's only three, just over three overs that Payne and Bailey faced. The rest of those balls went straight to Matty Wade, and that's what you need to do. You just need to rotate the strike and get Matty Wade on strike. He faced seven overs. He hit 11 boundaries. Mm. Uh, the guy was, was unstoppable, and you mentioned a guy like Ben McDermott coming in. Again, 67 on 30. These guys are hitting at you know, 150, 200 in terms of their strike rate. Um, again, Dan Christian was playing pretty well at a strike rate of 168, but still recognising, hang on, Ben McDermott's on fire here. Let's just get him uh, where he needs to be on strike because I can play a nice little cameo here. And I think too often teams in the big bash maybe aren't as effective at uh, rotating the strike as they need to be. And that was something that the Hurricanes were just able to do at will tonight. And... It was interesting actually watching the game on on a brand new oval and uh, listening to the commentators. They were saying that the the dimensions of the ground are quite similar to the Spotless Stadium where the Thunder play. So they've got very long square boundaries and shorter straight boundaries. Um, but 
I, I couldn't seem to comprehend that with just how easily guys like McDermott and Christian were, were finding finding the uh, finding the boundary. They seemed to be hitting sixes towards the end of that innings, which uh, really propelled them up over that uh, up over that 200 mark. And uh, look, Ben McDermott's a guy that I think he's been super entertaining to watch all, all tournaments. So I mean, he's going to be a popular batsman come BBL 08. Uh, Dan Christian probably not as exciting with the bat. He seems to turn up one out of two times, but. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, that batting order gets enough credit, and we've got to remember these guys batted without their number one batter and the number one batter of BBL07, Darcy Short. They've done a, a remarkable job to to cover Darcy Short, and as you mentioned, the dimensions of the ground are quite interesting. Having a look at um, the the wagon wheel here for the the Hurricanes, this encompasses everybody, uh, but they actually ended up hitting. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Looks like nine sixes, mm. uh, and on, uh, um, sorry, in six of them. So you know, two thirds of them were actually uh, forward of square of the wicket, which, which is quite impressive. Usually, you see these ones uh, that that seem to go. You know, you get your massive pull shots, a la Ricky Ponting. They all seem to go almost square over the square leg umpire's hat. Uh, not the case. They were really punishing these sort of shorter deliveries that were going uh, right down the ground and and the. Perth Scorcher bowlers, I, they were aware of it, but they didn't really seem to be able um, to, to figure out a way where to put that ball to stop the Hurricanes from making these shots. And when they did, mind you, the Hurricanes were really, really adept at finding places and working those balls around. And you take a look at the fours, um, again, I'd say probably 60, 65% of them were all forward of that um, that wicket, which is quite impressive as well. And they really came in with the game plan, it looks like, to, to target that shorter, shorter boundary here at the new Optus Oval and uh, Optus Stadium, I should say. Whereas you look at the scorches, there only two sixes, it looks like, hit forward of square of the wicket. And uh, maybe the, the Hurricanes beat the scorches at their own game. And I think the Scorchers really missed a trick coming into this game. Uh, I know the, there was a lot of talk about the guys coming back into the side, like uh, you know the Mitchell Marshes who were, were rejoining the team. But I think they forgot to think about long and hard about the guys that they were going to miss, uh, particularly Ashton Agar, uh, one of their go-to spin bowlers. Uh, on the night, they just had the five quicks going, and uh, obviously the quicks were just getting picked off at will by the Hobart Hurricanes, and it just seemed like Voges didn't have any other card in his arsenal to bring up to try to slow the run rate down. I mean, if, even if you get a chance, maybe one or two overs from a spin bowler, you know, just change the angle of the ball, just change the way the batsman's seeing it, move the field around a bit, get the guys thinking. But without a uh, quality spin bowler in the side tonight, I think the, the Scorchers came into this game undercooked. Yeah, but really good point that you make. Is looking at the some of these bigger names here, Mitch Johnson, none for 43 or four overs, an economy of over 10. Jai Richardson, who we've been just throwing superlative after superlative at throughout the season, none for 37, a strike rate of over nine. Uh, the wickets, the fall, actually, Timmy Bresnan, two for 40. So, okay, he took a couple of wickets, but the economy was horrible as well. And Matthew Kelly, one for 34. He was their best bowler on the night. I couldn't even tell you who Matthew Kelly is, Bernie, could you? <laughs> I, I actually had to, um, uh, uh, just to make sure I, I, I Googled him, just to make sure he was a, uh, a quick, I, I didn't know exactly what he bowled, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure I haven't seen any spin bowling. And uh, that, 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 I thought that was, um, that was a real opportunity missed there by the Scorchers. And speaking of opportunities missed... The Scorchers had a couple of uh, quality run-out chances. Uh, if, you know, if they managed to get those, there was one where uh, where Mitchell was charging at the, in at a ball that he managed to kick it at the stumps but didn't hit. But uh, yeah, a few more of those chances and uh, could have been a completely different game. 
and we see this all the time in the Big Bash, Bernie. It's whoever takes their chances. And uh, after sitting through, unfortunately, that entire Scorchers batting innings, the Hurricanes were lightning in the field. You saw within the first sort of eight or nine overs, which is when all these wickets fell, the Scorchers at six for 70, give or take. You, you come up and you manage to see these these little plays where you know you you'll make a cover drive down the ground you're okay yeah we'll call a single and a, a fielder would would manage to come over dive stop the ball and just put that doubt in in the mind of the uh, the scorchers and beyond that i thought this was something that was really interesting no matter even if the perth scorchers batsman was easily back into their crease by the time that the fieldsman got the ball they would always get up and throw it directly at the stumps it, it wasn't okay i'm going to fake it okay you're going i'll pass it around the wicket we'll get it back to the bowler or i'll throw it to the keeper it was pelted as hard as you can at the stumps make the scorchers think make them second guess themselves and we saw two or three times there was a, i can't remember the batsman but one of the perth scorchers players a slight little edge went sort of backward a point uh and then all of a sudden he's going yeah we're going to run one there's a fielder that's gone and dived picked it up he's then turned around slipped as he's turned around and i think the um the throw into to the wickets only missed by Oh, probably would have been less than 20 centimetres. But again, there's little moments like that. The Scorchers started to really second-guess themselves. And it showed their middle order, which I've constantly bragged about throughout the season, Bernie, that has been so strong. Cameron Bancroft, one off six. Mitch Marsh, three off five. Ashton Turner, two off four. Hilton Cartwright, four off eight. Adam Voges, three off five. They had no winners through that middle order. Their top order was actually all right. Um, Sean Marsh made 30. Klinger, only 15, but I felt like the run rate was where it needed to be. It was that middle order, very uncharacteristically, that let them down. And you mentioned the point about Ashton Agar and not having that spin bowler. Maybe Ashton Agar was missed from that middle order as well. And just just going back to the bowling, and like, and even as a guy who had uh, some money on the Hurricanes for tonight, I thought, and I'm and I'm in no way implying that the officiating had anything to do with the result. I think the uh, the umpires were were briefed before this game to you know be very vigilant of wide balls, be very vigilant of no balls, be very vigilant of bounces, and uh, I thought they really cracked down hard on the scorchers in that first uh, in their first innings and. Um, I don't think the um, it, when we look at the extras, the the they ended up going for nine wides, three leg buys, so a total of twelve runs they gave away uh, with extras. Um, but I even thought some of those those calls were pretty harsh. What did, how did you see it, Rob? I thought there was a couple that were somewhat dubious. Um, I taking a look at the. Uh, the, the figures here. So two wides, Mitch Marsh, five wides for Jai Richardson, two for Timmy Bresnan. Uh, I thought that maybe you look at a guy like Jai Richardson, you could easily say, mate, he's nearly bowled an overs worth of wides. He hasn't helped his team. But <laughs> I actually felt like he was bowling really aggressively, which is something that the Scorchers didn't really seem to have from a lot of those others. The, the Hurricanes found a way to survive Mitch Johnson without too much of an issue. And as I said, Bresnan and Kelly, there aren't too many big names in here, especially, as you mentioned, with Agar out. So I thought Richardson was actually doing what was best for the Scorchers. He was being aggressive, whether it was a bouncer, whether it was bowling wide, he was trying to tempt the batsmen into playing shots that maybe they wouldn't have liked. In other games, I don't think they would have been called wides, but at the same time, I look at them and go... 
the the calls throughout the game were pretty consistent. So the Scorchers had uh, nine wides called against them, and then the uh, the Hurricanes I think had eight wides and one no ball call against them. So at least they were consistent in that respect. Uh, but I did think it was interesting that Jai Richardson got called for five, uh, and and I think if I'm Adam Voges, I would have said that's fine I'll wear that because I felt like he was really trying to, to be aggressive and uh, and really help his team at a time when there wasn't much working for the hurricane I'm sorry the scorches and, and I think that actually played a big big part in tonight's game as you mentioned there when when confidence is down and guys get their heads down I mean the 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 hurricane team that I saw they they epitomized the definition of playing with absolutely nothing to lose and I, I felt the scorchers they 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 certainly had the the tag of you know the favorites uh, and I think that was weighing heavy on their shoulder and I, I think particularly one of the big turning points of the game uh, was that first wicket of Michael Klinger I mean he has been a beacon of hope for the scorchers uh, this season and uh, to lose him so early at 1 for 21, I really just don't think that started to sow the seed of doubt inside that Scorchers batting order. Um, you saw the guys coming to that, that middle order coming to the crease afterwards. There was no way they were swinging their bats as hard as the Hurricanes guys. You know, they were just sort of fishing at balls. They weren't really playing their shots. They weren't really hitting through. You could just see straight straight from that first wicket that um, there was really doubt that uh, the Scorchers weren't going to be able to chase down that 210 total. It's interesting you bring that up because there's a lot of quote-unquote big names in this squad. Sean Marsh, Mitch Marsh, Cam Bancroft, guys that have been on representative duty. Ashton Turner, everyone cried foul when he wasn't included uh, in the squad uh, that was recently announced. And even a guy like Hilton Cartwright, he's really been able to step up and sort of save innings at times. But it was just interesting. I think you mentioned Klinger. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that helped the case. But when you see your guys who are supposedly the best that you have, guys that have been on representative duties for their countries, uh, Sean Marsh, a little bit of resistance there but he had no consistent partner. Bancroft goes up, dismissed after for just one run after six deliveries. Mitch Marsh, another big name, three for five. Ashton Turner, if you think, okay, Ashton Turner's in, we're, we'll get a, a bit of a rock here. Two for four. Uh, Hilton Cartwright and Adam Voges, I saw them sitting out there when that six wicket fell, and I thought... These guys, especially with the captain, they've just got to slow it down. You, they need to bat out the 20 overs. Whether that they make the total was, even at that point, probably in doubt. But you just need to really have that steady influence. Just go, okay, run rate, I'm not too fussed about for a couple of overs here. Let's just solidify ourselves at the crease, get our eye in, and then we can push on from there. But like they've been able to do it every game this season that they've needed to. But in the one game, unfortunately for them, that counted, there was no one that was able to just stay at the crease in that middle order. Well, actually, let's talk about that, the one game that counted. And that's the way that the final series are constructed in BBL. It's that one-and-done style. So, you know, they go through and they play the 10 games in the season. Uh, then the final matchup is one plays four and two plays three. Uh, no second chances for uh, the team that comes first. And obviously the Hurricanes, uh, they, they just managed to, um, they scraped in. Even uh, their captain, George Bailey, said they scraped into the finals in the post-game interview. Uh, they managed to pull the wool over the Scorchers' eyes in, in this one. What do you think in BBL 08, the finals format is something that they'll take a look at? I mean, this is something that's been a hugely successful tournament for the the Australian cricket public and, and, and everybody loves this. Do you think this is something we can expand out uh, for next season, Rob? 
I, I don't think it is, unfortunately. And, and I'm, I'm the type of guy who loves the Big Bash more than just about any other form of cricket. I certainly enjoy it more than the Sheffield Shield. Um, I'm impartial to one day as, and I understand the tradition and the history involved in test matches. But the problem, the scheduling, this is what we talked about with Paul Dan. The schedule is a mess. It's a chaos. Honestly, it's something that your dog could have eaten and spat out, and, and I think the, the schedule might look a bit better. Cricket Australia have to do something. Um, with the TV rights up for grabs, whoever's bidding on them is not going to want conflicting matches, and this is something, again, that we've spoken about in the past. You don't want ODIs on the same day. You don't want test matches being played at the same time. Mm. Going forward for the finals, I think the problem that the BBL has is its place in the schedule. You've already had kids go back to school in Western Australia uh, in the last couple of days, Bernie, so they're already technically missing that quote-unquote holiday window. You you make it, let's say you make it a best of three or you make it um, two-game series and net run rate will advance if it's tied at one apiece. You really do open yourself up to extending the schedule. They already want to extend it to 14 games. I I just don't think there's enough time. I'd love it. I would absolutely love it, but I don't think there's enough time to physically extend this the way that it's done. Even if they go to 14 games um, per team, they load up on back-to-backs, you're still in a situation where... First week, school goes back. Let's say you have to extend it. So you play one game tonight. You play one game tomorrow. Uh, maybe you end up with a schedule that could theoretically still end come this weekend, but it wouldn't be pretty. And, and I think they risk oversaturating the sport or at least this particular format of cricket if they do that. Yeah, I mean, even just personally for myself, I certainly felt like the break between uh, even like the the last game, the, the the regular season round of the BBL wrapping up on the weekend, and then obviously four days in between the finals, I still felt like that was an eternity. You know, we, we sort of lost that BBL momentum. You know, that cricket, 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 quick, quick, quick. So, uh, yeah, I think it's something that they can work on and look at tweaking, and um, yeah, really jam pack this BBL season in. Would it be a situation where, let's say, you play a final game on a Sunday, uh, let's say a team that plays in that final on a Sunday uh, ends up making the, the top four and needing to play? So let's say it's Perth, uh, and then you go, right, well, I'm going to move this match to Tuesday. And you say, okay, well, Perth has to leave Perth on Monday or Monday morning, let's say, to get to Brisbane, hypothetically. You then have to travel the entire length of the country with, just theoretically, the Brisbane heat could have been sitting there for three or four days already. Is that then become a potential issue? I understand that yeah. what you're saying solves one <laughs> potential problem, but and, and this is the problem that Cricket Australia have, isn't it? Yeah. Everything that they do as a solution just opens up a whole other situation. <laughs> and they need look, they need to do something. It's been known forever. And once the TV rights are up, I'm sure there'll be negotiations because... I don't know what the ratings figures were for the Ashes, but I would assume that the Big Bash would outrate the the Ashes. Granted, because the Ashes was um, not particularly interesting this time around, but they they have to do something, and I'm not sure what the solution is. But but I think if they do bring the finals forward, as you said, keep that momentum going. Don't have that four day break. I think it just opens up a whole other can of worms. And, and one other interesting thing I want to touch on before we uh, before we leave the Scorchers and Hurricanes games was some of the selection choices that were made by the Hurricanes. So um, some of the guys that were bought in for tonight, we saw it was, um, let me just bring it up, it was um, Riley Meredith. I think he was playing in his first game uh, of the season, and that's interesting because he, the fact that he played tonight means that he can play in the final, uh, whereas the flip side of the coin, the Adelaide have the, uh, Adelaide have the problem where where they are going to play um, 
Khan is going to play in the semi-final, uh, but he's unavailable for the final, but they can't bring in a new player for the final. So I thought that was a really sneaky little tactic there. And so uh, the Hurricanes have another little selection decision to make uh, when it comes finals time. That's a very, very good pickup indeed, Bernie. And uh, he didn't do too bad either, Meredith. He won for 29 of just the three overs. And I know, obviously, the Scorchers weren't at their best, but... Uh, you, you take it when it comes. Interesting you say that. I think t- to go to your point about the strikers and, and Rashid Khan, you, you have to get there. I think you have to play him. I think they on the right thing. Um, whether or not it comes back to bite them in the bum, it might, but you'd rather be there and and have the opportunity to win without him than, you know, okay, well, I want to play this guy in the final, should we make it, and, and then not make it. But uh, it's a really interesting pickup. And again, these are guys whose names might not be that well known, but if he helps the Hurricanes to go on and, and beat uh, the winner of the Strikers and the Renegades, he'll certainly be a household name for a while. And Rob, before we move on, let's just quickly take a look at our tips. Now, I was on this one. I had uh, 10 bucks on the Hurricanes to hit the most sixes in this one, and my horse came in. So that was 2 to 1 on that one. So I cleaned up a cool 20 bucks, which I'm going to slip in to the Renegades for tomorrow night. You're going to bat the Renegades for tomorrow night? Well, I uh, I had the Scorchers, as I said last show, at $1.57 outright. That one missed, uh, so it's $10 down the proverbial. <laughs> uh, I'm still net position $7.20 up, which is quite nice. Uh, I jumped on before the, the podcast, the Strikers and the Renegades. It's $1.91. They, they can't be split at the moment, so uh, I'm going to back in the home team again. The Strikers, they've had a, a fantastic net run rate throughout the entire tournament. Uh, I know, as you said, uh, they, they've got some potential issues, but Travis Head coming back into that squad, I think the strike should be too strong. Yeah, I mean, let, let's talk about that breaking news today that uh, Travis Head, the captain of the Adelaide Strikers, he comes back into this team. Uh, last podcast, we were lamenting the absence of obviously Carey uh, and uh, their other strike bowler that they were going to they were going to miss in this game. So three of their key players. I think it's a great decision that he obviously wasn't going to play for. He wasn't going to get uh, get a run for Australia, or he was going to be the twelfth man. So they decided to release him. Uh, I think that's that's a big win for the BBL. I think it's a win for common sense. Uh, but on the flip side of the coin, Cameron White, he's back for the Renegades. He was one of the top five scorers of BBL 07. And um, I think that's probably why the punters can't split him. Yeah, it's a, a really good point. It's interesting that you say um, you know, he's released by, by Cricket Australia there in order to, to come back and play. Does this, in your mind, and I'll get to what, what you were saying in a second, but does that, I guess, sort of signal to you maybe Cricket Australia just going, do you know what? Okay, we keep him in if we plan to play him, but as a 12th man, we'd much rather him go back to the big bash. This is actually signal, I guess, not, not necessarily a change of attitude, but a recognition by Cricket Australia of what the big bash means. I think so. Uh, and uh, I think... I, I, I think, uh, particularly for uh, I think the market, the the market in Adelaide and the appetite for cricket uh, down there, we've seen has just been fantastic. They managed to sell out that Adelaide Oval uh, with ease, and uh, I mean as well. Can you can you imagine being Travis Head and you're sitting on the bench or you're sitting on a couch, and, and the reason you're watching your team. Uh, either go in or go to battle and you're not where they're with them it's because you've got to carry the drinks the next day I don't think you're doing anything I think yes it's a win for the fans but at the same time like can you imagine that player then the next day he's got to pull on that jersey and sit in the stand and do it all again I mean I think that'd be a terrible situation to be in uh, I think it wouldn't look good. I, I concede on that. But it, look, they 
Cricket Australia have come out and said he's unlikely to play in Saturday night's game, which to me is a worry. Uh, if they had ruled him out completely, which of course they would never do, but there, yeah, like you said, there is a potential that he's playing tomorrow and then he he's going on a plane, he's going to New Zealand, um, sorry, he's going to Sydney, sorry, to play New Zealand, uh, and he's having to back it up again. I, I don't think they want that, and potentially, I don't know what happens after that, but should the strikers make it, do they then re-release him to go back <laughs> and play three games in three days? I, I don't know. Um, the man I do feel a little bit sorry um, for in this case is um, Adelaide strikers quick Nick Winter. He was added to the squad but was dropped after head became available. So uh, no breakthrough there uh, for Nick Winter. But of course, wicketkeeper Harry Nielsen has been included because Billy Stanlake and Alex Carey are still on representative duties as well. So uh, it, it's... It's really interesting because I feel as though if Head, let's say, does go on to play two matches in a row, this will never happen again. Cricket Australia will never do this again, especially if the Aussies get pumped in Sydney because <laughs> it, it'll, it, it, it could be anything. He could go out there um, and, you know, and, and hit a century, but it'll be his fault uh, because Cricket Australia let him play in the Big Bash, which is an exhibition tournament and blah, blah, blah. So I hope that doesn't happen. Um, but at the same time, for him, I mean, it would be fantastic if he goes out and whacks a big score tomorrow. What better, or I should say on Friday, what better preparation do you think there would be uh, for a game the next day? And uh, look, the last time these two teams met, uh, Travis Head actually produced the winning partnership with Colin Ingram. Uh, they... Uh, they managed to beat uh, the Renegades, so that uh, that's another little sub-story that we, we can watch, the, the insertion of Travis Head. And one other selection I'm going to keep my eye on is uh, Brad Hogg. Obviously, he was scratched for the Renegades' last game. Uh, they've had the preference to go with, uh, I think it's Kevin Pollard uh, in instead, and um, it'll be interesting to see if one of the most experienced players in Australian cricket gets left out uh, for one of the biggest games uh, for the Renegade in BBL 07. Uh, a very big chance, and in fact, I'd almost put it down as a certainty, and we flagged this uh, as potentially his last game, or I should say his last opportunity, when he didn't play in the last regular season game for the Renegades, Bernie. Uh, a, a, a sad way, actually, for potentially his career to end. He's meant so much. I know he was a, an absolute cult hero when he was over here in Perth, and he's become a little bit of the same over there with the uh, the Melbourne Renegades. But uh, as you said, Kieran Pollard hasn't been horrible so far in his um, in his brief appearances and looking at it, if you're the Renegades, you're going, do you know what? Yeah, we've got Hogg, we've got Pollard. They've elected to play Pollard, basically saying, if we make the final, who do, who do we want there? We we want Pollard. I can't imagine that, uh, barring injury, of course, or something like that, than that nature happening, mm. I can't imagine that they would get to a final and then recall Hogg. Um, Hoggy, for everything that he's been, uh, as I said, he's I think he actually turns four. 46 or 47 in, in a couple of days time so uh, unfortunately Father Time might have hit him it's a sad way for him to end I hope it, I, I don't know do, do the PBL do video tributes or you know laps of honour at the final for all the retiring players Bernie is that something we need to, to bring up with the league well, you know, with uh, Chris Lynn, they, um, I know the K KFC or Channel 10 put together that little video compilation that went out on social media of him hitting like 100 sixes in a row and it just went for a yes, minute. Yes, I did see that. Maybe they could put one together of Brad Hoggy taking like, you know, 100 wickets and then just sticking his tongue out. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, look, it's not the worst idea. 
it, look, it, it's incredibly sad, though, isn't it? A guy who's uh, played the high majority of the matches for the Renegades and just falls out of favour uh, right at the end there. And regardless of what happens to, uh, tomorrow night, whether the Renegades go on to the final to face the Hurricanes or whether they bow out, it's not the way that Hoggy would have wanted to finish, not in his time at the Renegades, but probably uh, his BBL career as well. And just look, interesting little fun fact. No team has hit more sixes, which is a 58 than the Adelaide Strikers in BBL 07. Um, so, yeah, if there's people heading out to the game, make sure you, you keep uh, your eye on the ball. Um, there were certainly plenty of balls coming into the crowd tonight uh, for the WA fans. There was a couple of catches there in the crowd, Rob. I don't know if you saw it. It was one of the, the very early ones. There was a bloke in a Perth Scorchers, uh, it looked like a singlet. He was pumped. I don't know if he was <laughs> pumped up on something, but Bernie, he was pumped, whatever he was on. Uh, he was very, very ready for it. Had the, the sleeves out, the tattoos. He was probably celebrating for a good 15 to 20 seconds. The double fist pump, the finger up in the air, the rotation, the, I don't know what you call it, the cyclone motion with the hand. He was uh, basically ready for his 15 seconds of fame and he milked it for all it was worth. So, uh, if you if you are out there tomorrow at the uh, the Adelaide Oval, make sure you. Uh, we should do something with like the uh, I don't know if you ever saw a program called the Western Front, Bernie, but they used to get people to do a W with their hands in the background of the footy. Maybe we should do that. Can you do SSP with your hands or something? Can we get something going if people are listening at the games? <laughs> maybe we can get something going. And uh, maybe like some hashtags and a couple of uh, yeah Summer Smash podcasts. Even put it on a sign. You could put that up on your head and see if you can get that on the TV. Yeah, exactly. Just draw it on your KFC bucket. No one will know. <laughs> now, Rob, but obviously we... Both cancelled our schedules for Friday night. It's going to be planted in front of the TV or watching semi-final two of BBL 07. Uh, I'm certainly pumped up for the next game. And uh, look, I think either way it turns out, whoever ends up meeting the Hobart Hurricanes in the finals, uh, this season has been a, a, a great success for the Hobart Hurricanes. It certainly has, and uh, Bernie, I, I'm reminded every day uh, my notes are sitting in front of me, the Hobart Hurricanes, oh, they maybe might surprise the team, but probably not going to do much, and here <laughs> they are in the final, so, uh, and this is why we said right off the top, episode one, if you want deep, in-depth analysis, don't come <laughs> anywhere near us, because uh, we're just a, a couple of fans, but uh, who do you think would have a better, let me rephrase it, who would you think the Hurricanes would like to play in the final, Bernie? Ooh, that's a good question. I think the Hurricanes. I think the Hurricanes would like to play. I think they'd like to play the Strikers. Um, I don't think. Uh, um, well, I have to go back and check. I'm not even sure if the the Hurricanes have had success in Melbourne or if they've had more success in Adelaide. I think it was the the Hurricanes uh, that went into Adelaide. They broke Adelaide's win uh, winning streak, uh, and I think that kicked off their five-game win streak to uh, to set up the season in BBL Seven. So, look, you know, if, if I'm the Hurricanes, maybe I've got that in the back of my mind and go, okay, you know, we've beat these guys once. There's no reason we can't do it again. Bernie, if if I'm the Hobart Hurricanes, I'd I'd be wanting to to take on uh, probably the the Renegades. The, the last time. Uh, that the Strikers and the Hurricanes faced off or was, uh, the 17th of January. It was at the Adelaide Oval, and the Strikers ended up winning by 11 runs. Both teams saw out their full 20 overs. Both teams only lost the four wickets. Um, in that game, though, the, the Strikers, they managed to, to bat first and set a total of 187. 
comfortable. We've seen the, the Hurricanes, even without Darcy Short, yep, they can go on and they can easily, you know, make 200, but you don't really want to be having to rely on uh, on hitting 10 on over for 20 overs to get a win. Uh, I think they'd probably rather face the, the Renegades. I think the Renegades can be a little bit more inconsistent at times as well. Um, so if I was the, the Hurricanes, I'd rather be taking on the Renegades especially considering if the strikers do get through, I believe the final will be played in Adelaide um, due to the finishing position of the strikers on top of the Renegades. Well, that's the other interesting side note for tomorrow night's game. I think whoever wins, wins the home final because the strikers, I believe, finished second. It was strikers... Was it uh, Strikers second and third? Yes, and then the Scorchers yes, were yeah. one and four. So. Striker, Scorchers, Strikers, Renegades, Hurricanes. Yeah, so, I mean, a home final is up for grabs for either team that wins tomorrow night. That's huge. I mean, let's talk about uh, playing for cattle stations. <laughs> well, Matty Wade post-game uh, tonight actually uh, said to reporters, they asked him, what's the travel schedule? What are you guys doing? And while he confessed that he obviously doesn't really know because they haven't planned anything <laughs> just yet, um, he said what they actually suspect is that they'll fly to Melbourne um, and then if it does end up being in Adelaide, then they'll just dart back to Adelaide. It's only, I don't know, a 90-minute flight or so, where as opposed to going to Adelaide and, and then having to potentially move on uh, to Melbourne, I don't see if that makes any difference. Surely the distance from Adelaide to Melbourne isn't longer than from Melbourne to Adelaide. Bernie, I'm not sure what the logic is there, but uh, I thought it was interesting that they, they choose to go to Melbourne. Maybe it's just because it's closer to Tasmania. I'm not sure. And I think it's certainly like the availability for being able to get flights out. Um, I think there'd be a lot of flights going out of Melbourne. Adelaide might not be the easiest place to go there, and uh, I think Melbourne's probably the best way they can hedge their bets. Now, Rob, before we wrap up episode number 12 of the Summer Smash podcast, uh, speaking of runs on the board, uh, you and I are both pretty prolific on Twitter. Uh, you can use the <laughs> hashtag Summer Smash podcast. Um, and uh, you can find me at Bernie08Mac and yourself at Robert double underscore Beaver. I, uh, I managed to get another like from the team of the Summer Smash podcast, and that's the Hobart Hurricanes tonight. Bernie, very, very easy to get likes from a team that's an underdog. Um, I think you've got no integrity. You're just going for the cheap likes tonight. You're going, oh, Hurricanes, hashtag my team, hashtag bandwagon, all those types of things. Um, here I was. It, it was difficult supporting the Scorchers tonight. I'm not going to lie. And, uh, there wasn't a whole lot I could get on Twitter and you know say positively about what the Scorchers were doing because there wasn't a whole lot to be positive about. But um, yeah, well done. So you managed to, to pull another like from the Hurricanes. So um, I'd just say to yourself, Bernie, you're up by half a point at the moment, but watch out because come uh, tomorrow night, I'll be blasting the Hurricanes and everything I can do. And then come the final, it'll just be tweet after tweet, uh, just going full on Bernie 08 Mac and just, just digging for those likes. <laughs> well, there we have it, folks. Episode number 12 in the bag. Uh, Rob and I are going to try and record another podcast up to tomorrow night's semi final. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening to us uh, for BBL07. And we'll chat to you guys next time. The Summer Smash Podcast with Bernie Mac and the Beaver.